a medieval castle and it wasn't until I'd gotten like three levels up in the build that I realized I'd added too many blocks on each side and so all of it was like out of whack and so I, it was like at the end of the stream that I realized I'd made the mistake too so I was like no I can't fix this oh, no. so I'm gonna try again but it's uh... Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Player 2 Pixelcast. Uh, your host for this particular episode is Chris Button, uh, taking over from the usual uh, the usual suspects in Huso and Tim. Um, but we do have one of them on the show uh, this evening, uh, the time that we're recording. So we'll be chatting about the, the games that we're all playing, as we all uh, want to do on the Player 2 Pixelcast. And we're also going to be looking and talking about Valve's new handheld gaming machine which is dominating a fair bit of discussion online at the moment but let's introduce all of our guests first as we've got plenty of new faces and voices which is quite exciting so let's acquaint our listeners with the talent on display uh we'll, we'll start with we'll start with a returning veteran uh we'll start with tim uh never hurts to have a refresher of our usual crew on the pixel cast so uh share with us what's your involvement with games and player two these days tim Hi, I'm Tim. I mostly do the Pixel Cast for Player Two. <laughs> I, I wish my voice was halfway as soothing as yours is. <laughs> oh goodness, no. We we all we all have our own unique twang, but uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, Tim's a veteran of the Pixel Gar- Pixel Cast uh, going way back. So very lovely to have you on, Tim, and for me to be guest host uh, this this time around. Uh, another one of our guests. Pastel Sparkles, uh, nice to have some uh, content creator uh, representation on the show. So Pastel Sparkles is a South Aussie, like myself, a content creator on Twitch and is also the stream manager at Legacy Esports. So Pastel, uh, a little bit about yourself. What what sort of content do you make and how did you get into content creation to start off with? Um, I've been into content creation for a number of years. I actually started out as a a blogger. I was a makeup blogger back in uh, 2015. Um, and then I kind of slowly progressed into the gaming industry and kind of realized um, how much I loved still uh, playing games and how mu- how important it was to me. So I kind of jumped on Twitch in 2018 and I haven't looked back, uh, make YouTube videos, TikTok, anything. I'm there. <laughs> Good stuff. And uh, you're also a video editor. So if anyone listening has video editing needs, then uh, (laughs) hit hit your gal pastel up. Um, But we've uh, also got uh, some more more writing talent on the cast uh, for this Pixel cast. We are lucky to be joined by Ginny Maxwell from Screen Hub, the games and digital content lead at Screen Hub, who I think it's time for a little bit of uh, trumpet blasting here, was recently nominated as the Best Gaming Journalist and Best New Journalist at the 2021 Australian IT Journalism Awards, uh, alongside Screen Hub receiving several coverage uh, nominations as well. So firstly, Jeannie, congratulations. That's fantastic and very well deserved. Please tell us about uh, your work and uh, what's what's gone into this coverage. Oh, thank you so much for the kind words, Chris. Um, I know you've been doing a bit of writing, quite a bit of writing for Screen Hub this year as well, and it's been so awesome Like having you on board. I feel like when I started at Screen Hub um, at the end of 2019, I was like the little lone <laughs> games person in this screen industry publication, and now there are a few of us, and that's really just really really exciting um, for me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a it's a nice little team, uh, especially for those who don't know um, Edmund Tran, who was formerly uh, the editor of the Australian Gamespot team, is now heading up the uh, editorial sort of direction, I suppose, of Screen Hub. But uh, yes, uh, Jeannie, please yeah, tell us a, a bit about your uh, your work specifically and what sort of stuff you like covering. Uh, absolutely. So um, I write about games, obviously, but kind of more specifically, I'm really interested in the local games industry. Uh, I try to uh, balance looking at uh, video game making as an art form, but also as like a business 
um, comprised of people who, you know, uh, make decisions and are affected by policy. And uh, uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's kind of my thing. Like, I think there can sometimes be, I think sometimes people can like uh, see treating video games as art or treating them as an industry as like maybe antithetical, but I don't think that's true at all. I think it's really interesting that they're both. Um, so that's hmm. kind of what I try to do with my work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And with the uh, award nominations, it's clear it's resonated with quite a few people, which is fantastic. So thank you for, for the uh, introductions, everyone. So I reckon we will move into what we've all been playing. Uh, so Tim, I will yeah. start with you. What's uh, what have you been playing lately? What's been exciting you in the world of video games? Everything has been having some time in the world of video <laughs> games. Really, I've just been lost three months now, so I'm finally getting used to it. Um, no, I've finally got to like my summer break where I told myself, okay, this is when if I had control of the situation, I would have gone, okay, I'm allowed to now buy a PlayStation Five. As it is, people who listen to this will know I actually got one a few months earlier after a friend was randomly at an electronic store in Japan and was like, hey, I'm buying a PS5, do you want one? And I was like, I don't want one yet, but I'm not so sure I'm going to be able to get one when I do. Mm. So I've had it for a while, but this is the first time I've actually bought a PS5 game proper. And so far, the adventure with Ratchet and Clank... A Japanese copy of a Japanese machine has simply just been trying to get it to work in English. Quite, <laughs> fran- oh. Quite frankly, I've actually, I don't know if they paid attention. I did actually, once I figured it out, I think I did kind of tweet it in some yak saying there's this one other small thing you may want to put in your help page. So basically, I mean, as most modern games do, it does have an option for different languages and like the different language packs it should download relative to whatever. But in this case, it turns out... And this actually could, I guess, be relevant from an Australian show. I had my system set to UK English because, you know, I like the letter U. I don't like the letter Z, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you need to have your system set to US English for the US language, for the English language pack to work, or else it is just going to, like, boot up in Japanese. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. yeah. It's such a weird little kind of kink that you have to, like, go into the system settings and change this one thing because that's just how it's, the files have been lined up or whatever. So my first half so, day of playing Ratchet was doing that. I didn't, I didn't install it three times. Oh goodness! So yeah, language uh, challenges aside, uh, yeah. how have you have you found the game? Um, it they're not lying. It does look like you're playing a Pixar DreamWorks slash um whatever. A couple of effects aside, but I mean it is getting really close. Mm. Um, part part of the reason for that story is I have played significantly less of this than I may have otherwise. Um. But it, it definitely is... I mean, I haven't played a whole lot. I've played a couple of... I think I played the PS4 one and one of the PS3 installations. Um, it does seem to be more story-focused this time around, which is probably partly why I was very fussed about, no, I, this is not just up and bop. I actually want to follow this. Mm. Um, then the different modes um, weren't working either. So, But I'm, so I'm playing on the standard pretty, pretty mode, effectively, and it is um, very sharp. And, like, mechanically so far... I mean, I've gone through portals a little bit, but there hasn't been anything that is actually that far outside of the bracket. To my understanding, it is coming, but so far the biggest change has been there's been one particularly open area. And you can just zip through that at, like, very high speed, which very possibly would not be possible. And I'm wondering if this is going to be a case of, like, the next time I go back and play a PS4 game, if I'm going to be like, there's popping everywhere. Hmm. So when when you say um, you know there's not much outside the bracket so mm. far, um, you're saying that obviously it's it's a very good looking game and very close to you know the the big animated studio sort of level of uh, production. Um, do you mean from a gameplay perspective, it hasn't done heaps? It's still a ratchet um, game. If you've played a ratchet, yeah. ratchet, so it is okay. You can swing a range, you can bash boxes, and then you've got a bunch of. Admittedly, very cool different weapons to, like, toy around and screw with. Um, but the portal jumping between worlds has only happened, like, a small handful of times yet, and there's, like, nothing that's, like, completely out there where if they want so far, and I am I guess I'm two to three hours in, if Insomniac could want to be clever enough on a PS4, they probably could script the stuff that's happened in such a way to hide it behind cutscene loading times. 
Mm. But I mean, to my knowledge, and from what I've read, it will get a lot more wild than that. I'm just not there yet. Yeah, and and that that pretty well vibes with a lot of what I've read as well in terms of wonderful production quality, uh, looks and sounds amazing. Um, but you know, ultimately, you know, if if you weren't a Ratchet and Clank convert before, it's possibly not likely to uh, change your mind on the on the the gameplay formula which that, that seems pretty consistent with with what i've read and actually so you know far. which is fine good on them but it's polished mm. and some has released two games in the last half year like with like no stories like, of like people being crunched to death so good on them mm, mm, no there's uh, a lot of good stuff coming out of insomniac uh so Pastel, what what have you been playing, whether on or off stream, or uh, has there been anything that's uh, captured your attention um, uh, of note? Um, just recently, I finished up playing Spiritfarer. I'm really into like kind of more indie games, so um, that one really captured my attention. Um, it has just the most beautiful art and the most beautiful score, and that alone really captivated me but the story is really interesting too um and especially i guess uh, coming from a more uh, like a, a better understanding of french storytelling certainly canadian french storytelling um i found it very comfortable to uh, to play and enjoy where I, I know some people who um don't really know that style of storytelling found it a little bit lackluster in the beginning um, but oh my gosh, I'm very emotional about that game. <laughs> it is, it's just, uh, uh, any kind of story that talks about, um, life and death and, you know, the afterlife and kind of being thankful for the life we've been given. I'm just all about it. So that one's like been my main one that I've been just so hard after, um, yeah. yeah. And with, um, with, with Spiritfarer, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure, Jeannie, that's something that you've sussed out as well. But Pastel, um, for those who don't know, what what is Spiritfarer uh, as far as uh, a game? What what do you do in it, or what's what's the setting? It's so you are the Spiritfarer. You're taking over the role of Karen, the um, the Greek mythological Spiritfarer, guiding uh, spirits to the afterlife, and um, your character Stella is. I guess a child um, and she is taking a, a bunch of the spirits that she knew in her life to the Everdor to, to the end, I suppose um, mm. uh, story wise anyway. And besides that, it's kind of a management game. So you are building houses and feeding all the spirits and taking them to different places and kind of, yeah, fulfilling their last wishes. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating, and yeah, Jeannie, I, I can see yeah. you're very, very, very excited to yeah, very excited to share your experience as well. So yeah, um, how how does Pastel's experience with Spirit Fair uh, line up with yours? Well, it's so interesting, Pastel, that you suggest, uh, you know, maybe there's like a bit of a cultural storytelling difference mm. that some players didn't immediately connect to, because I would definitely say that this is a game that I. I actually had kind of an interesting experience with it because I really bounced off it the first time mm. uh, I started playing it. And then I also, um, as well as writing, I also host Acme's Women and Non-Binary Gamers Club and Spiritfarer was so highly like requested as a game. The club runs kind of like a book club, you know. We oh. pick a game once a month, we pick a game, play it, meet up talk about the game it's really like sweet um it's a cute idea hmm. can we just talk about your club instead <laughs> I, I mean i love the club it's like actually been the highlight of my year like in like lockdown after lockdown just having this monthly thing where you just meet up with a bunch of cuties who talk about nice games <laughs> i love that um that, that sounds fantastic meeting up with cuties playing games that, that's, <laughs> the dream. That, that, that's, that's the dream yeah i would but i yeah, would yeah, legitimately what, be all over this if it was an option in osaka yeah well how how yeah how did your experience and the club's experience um go with spiritfarer so we played we did spiritfarer one month because there were so many people who were really passionate about the game um and you know I'm not the overlord of the club. I'm just the <laughs> host. Um, and 
So I like came to the club um, and just, you know, tried to be like honest without being overbearing about the fact that I'd found it like um, I found I I think I was very impatient with the game. Mm. Like I really wanted uh, I was like, why? Why are all these people telling me what to do all the time? <laughs> Like, I don't want all these old people to boss me around, <laughs> like, fading <laughs> away like a teenager. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I think actually the experience of talking about the game with a group of people who were really moved by it, who were really found it a really, like, emotionally resonant experience totally changed my perspective. And I ended up going back and playing it, being more patient and, like... And kind of like maybe being a bit more mindful, like recognizing when I had that impulse to be like, oh, I just want to like get on with things. I don't want to linger over conversations and feelings anymore. And then being like, oh, you can be, you can just be present in this moment. It, you will, it won't kill you. <laughs> You'll be okay. And like when I got to that place, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So yeah, I think it's a really interesting game. Mm-hmm. Oh, lovely, lovely. Yeah, I yeah I have heard um, similar to your initial experience, Jeannie, that uh, you know some people haven't gelled with the, the concept or the experience of Spiritfarer, or um, you know thematically, you know perhaps some people don't want to play a game about uh, you know moving on and and death and that sort of thing, which. I mean that's absolutely fine. There's uh, you know you, we all play games for different reasons, but yeah, that's 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 really really cool and approaching it sort of from that lens of being present as well. Um, Jeannie, before we get to uh, what else you've been playing, I just want to check back in with Pastor. Was there anything else you've been playing? Because I am aware that you've been playing uh, another game on stream specifically uh, where you've been hang around a lot of hot intergalactic people. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to bring nice. this up. <laughs> yeah, I'm playing Mass Effect for the first time um, on stream and I'm really enjoying it. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of <clears throat> Dragon Age and while I, you know, I really love space and I really love romance and talking to mm. hot aliens. Um, I never really was drawn to it because I just saw it as a shooter initially. Um, and I'm kind of mad at myself that I never gave it a chance earlier because I am really enjoying it. I'm only in the first game at present, um, but I'm really like, it's giving me the same feeling that Dragon Age did the first time I played that. So I'm just so jazzed about it and I can't wait to keep playing. <laughs> Oh, good. And well, uh, I mean, that's the great thing about coming to the series for the first time. You're already enjoying the first game. You've got two more games yeah. to look forward to. So lucky you uh, getting to experience that for the first time. Well, you know, that, that well, could I mean, be 100 hours later. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be. It could be. Uh, it could, could get to the end and, um, you know, could... Uh, uh, you know, have a, a very different experience, but no, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of good stuff in the, in the Mass Effect trilogy. Uh, so yeah, cool. Um, yes, so so Jeannie, what's uh, what have you been uh, playing lately? What's what's been on your plate? So I think um, actually one of the games that's really like absolutely like tickled my brain <laughs> recently mm. is Snake RX. Um, oh. So this is kind of a niche one, but I yes, it adore is. it. It's S-N-K-R-X. Um, and it is kind of like a... Uh, it's like the best possible answer to the question, do you have games on your phone? <laughs> it's like a combination of like a roguelite auto battler with Snake. So oh. essentially what you do is you build... Uh, um, you like purchase different units that end mm. up making up like a little snake uh, and then like fight waves of enemies um, and at the end of each wave you can kind of upgrade your units or buy different ones and different um, different units kind of resonate with each other in different waves like in different ways there are like different passive bonuses you can get uh, it's just incredibly incredibly fun <laughs> like it's I'm, just I'm like f- a simple per- 
simple the simple concept done perfectly. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated because you you describing the concept that's 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 a lot of very interesting um, genres and gameplay elements sort of mashed together, and I yeah I'm I'm, I'm fascinated how. In in terms of like answering that question, you know the 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 classic. It feels like a very nineties kid question to ask. You know when phones weren't viewed as sort of like valid gaming devices, or you know when it had just the classic you know little little brick snake moving pixel by pixel. How how does it tap into that sort of you know? Do you have games on your phone sort of mentality? I suppose. I think. Um, because the the gameplay itself is so simple. Like I've played it on PC and on my phone and on phone to control the snake, you know, you press on the left or right side of the screen. That's all like, it's Hmm. incredibly simple, but, um, the kind of comp, there is a lot of strategy to the game. Like it, it can get like surprisingly deep strategically, but that all happens in your head. Like it's not something you need to, um, you don't really need quick reflexes or to like Mm. input a lot of controls. So you can really, you know, if you're on the train or uh, on a tram or like waiting something, uh, the actual rounds where you're like fighting enemies take maybe a couple of minutes like they're very short and then you spend ages on this like shop screen thinking about like what enemies to upgrade like, uh, what units to upgrade what mm. passives are going to be best for your build um whether now's the time to like spend all your cash or if it's worth saving it uh to like get more interest so you have even more for the next round whether you want to upgrade your shop so it kind of like really uh balances like that fun silly like tap tap (laughs) um energy of like just a simple more kind of idle um mobile game with like real strategy uh that doesn't it's just it's just really really fun (laughs) ultimately it's just really fun (laughs) you've you've sold me on it it sounds fascinating i'm I'm gonna check it out as soon as we finish up recording it's also three dollars fifty so that's that's a very easy sell as well do you recommend getting it on steam or on your phone is the big question um well, I'm in lockdown, so there's no real point of me playing anything on my phone versus <laughs> on my true. computer. And um, the depressing thing is I am old enough where I actually did have Snake on my first family PC. Uh, I think it's really good on both. I personally am not a huge fan of touch screens in general, so I would go PC. But if you, if that's not a weird thing that bothers you, I think both are really good. Um, but Chris, cool. I know you have been playing Phantom Abyss, which I have been playing as well. Indeed, um, indeed. Very yeah, interested it's, it's to a... hear your thoughts. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, and I do actually have a review of this one um, going up on Screen Hub soon. But Phantom Abyss is made by Team. I'm not sure how they pronounce it. I'm going to say Team Team Wibby uh, W I B Y. It's a Brisbane based. Uh, team uh, published by Devolver Digital, so always cool to see uh, Aussies working with uh, big uh, international well-known brands. So yeah, Phantom Abyss is sort of, I like to think of it as a hybrid between Indiana Jones and Mirror's Edge uh, in terms of... <laughs> yes, for those uh, for those who are interested in Mirror's Edge, which is a bit of a cult classic, I imagine that would be a bit of a bit of a seller, but... Um, yeah, Phantom Abyss sees you trapped within this this temple, uh, and you have to delve deeper into the temple in procedurally generated temple dungeons uh, from a first person perspective to uh, recover relics, uh, to fill up all of these various altars, uh, to uh, eventually escape. Uh, but it's in uh, early access at the moment, uh, so it's still uh, in very early days. But it's looking very promising uh, in its in its early access release, um, because through through these temples, through these dungeons that you go through, you uh, you know, run in in first person, and you've uh, you're equipped with a whip. Uh, hence the uh, the comparisons to Indiana Jones, because it feels you know that very much. 
um, you know, spelunking, mysterious sort of adventuring vibes uh, where you're able to grapple onto pretty well anything within reach you can grapple onto with your whip. So if there's a ledge too high to jump and grab onto, you can uh, you can whip it uh, so and pull yourself up. And it feels really, really satisfying. The movement feels really, really great. Uh, you can generate a great sense of flow, uh, just running and jumping over various traps like spikes and swinging axes and poisonous gas. And uh, you're also chased by, uh, in each procedurally generated dungeon, one of three guardians. Uh, one is like a flaming rage guardian, which will just relentlessly chase you the whole time. And if it touches you, you're dead. Uh, you can't enter... Um, that dungeon again because you know this is sort of like one of those oh, I'm making the rules up as I go along but uh, pretty well every dungeon with its procedural generation you can only attempt each dungeon once uh, and after that you're locked out but there's a, a nice little social and cooperative element where you can uh, share the code for the dungeon that you attempted and failed at. And you can share it with friends, uh, whether via the Discord server or if you have uh, friends on Steam that are also playing the game, they can attempt to clear the dungeon and quote unquote, rescue your fallen uh, adventurer, uh, which then allows you to you know, regain any, any treasures that you may have lost on that run. Uh, but then vice versa, when you're trying dungeons where other people have failed, uh, you see these ghost spectral-like figures uh, referred to as phantoms running through the dungeon. So it sort of feels like you're chasing like a, a ghost run, like if you're playing like a time trial in a, in a racing game where you're following a ghost, uh, but there can be like up to 20 or 20 plus ghosts running around, but they're more than just sort of passive waypoints. They can also activate the traps as well, which most of the traps are proximity activated. So you need to have your head on a swivel because if you're standing somewhere and a phantom runs past and you weren't expecting it, they could have just activated a giant swinging hammer to knock, knock you senseless and end your run. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's very interesting because the, the action feels great. It's very satisfying. But there's also yet yeah, a very interesting sort of social multiplayer element, which for me, someone who doesn't play a lot of multiplayer online games or sort of gets a bit weary with the FOMO of having to be online at the same time as everyone to enjoy something. This is something where you can interact with other players and your friends at an asynchronous, asynchronous, I, I can't remember the word. Yeah, the uh, essentially you don't have to be on at the same time to enjoy all these online features. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested, Jeannie, how, how have you found Phantom Abyss? So I have been loving it. Um... I've really, really enjoyed it as like a spelunky freak. <laughs> it totally mm. fits with the kind of game that I like. Um, I actually talked, uh, it's funny, I don't play a lot of uh, online multiplayer games either, um, but I talked to the devs a week or so ago uh, and they were talking about the fact that um, they wanted to make essentially like an online multiplayer game for people in their 30s <laughs> like who kind of have huh. other stuff on <laughs> yeah that's like, a good idea so you can like play with your friends and share that experience but like you just don't have like have you like you just your schedule's kind of full <laughs> um that is so a big can... market to be fair. yeah big market yeah um and i think they agree like there are some signs for me that it it's early access, you know, um, mm. and it's definitely early access. But for me, like the, the central, like the central hook of the game is so compelling. Like I am loving it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And no, I'm that's, terrible that's really at it. I'm so I like I don't think I've I think I've cleared one dungeon. <laughs> like I'm so bad, but I love it. <laughs> that, that's that's half the fun uh, with with a lot of these roguelike and a lot of these very challenging games is. Uh, getting your butt handed to you on a regular basis um, but you know the games that do it well still they either make it feel like you've still made some progress or the the core loop 
is you know fun enough to keep you know pushing and keep challenging yourself which i agree phantom abyss does a really good job with and as as you alluded to you know being in early access there's there's a few little um you know a few little a few little scuff marks here and there i did find that uh, sometimes when i got deep into a run um i did find the performance on my admittedly mid-tier pc uh did did chug a little bit so it did i did have some slowdowns and i know in the early days i've had some network issues and that sort of stuff but i mean who in this day and age launches a game without you know some some form of you know network issues so they're only human for goodness sake so but yeah very very promising signs and it looks like the uptake has been really good like looking at their um steam stats they have i know they uh distributed the game to some streamers uh kind of before even releasing in early access which i think was a really really smart move for a game like this Mm. um but yeah i know they're like pretty regularly hitting like uh you know uh oh my gosh what's the word um concurrent concurrent, there it is like like a few thousand concurrent players like they're really Mm. They've really like, I think they've tapped into something really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For, um, yeah. For a game that's in early access and from an indie Australian team, uh, yeah. that's, that's really, really great. You, uh, you literally do love to see it. So <laughs> that's, uh, um, yeah. Um, I, we'll, we'll move on very quickly, but I, I do very quickly want to touch on uh, one or two of the other games that you've also been playing, Jeannie. In the show notes, uh, you've um, you've made a, a very, very interesting observation, which uh, I think some people would uh, wholeheartedly agree with. <laughs> uh, you've, you've recently visited uh, Far Cry 5, which uh, had uh, a very... Uh, I'm going to say controversial setting, not controversial mm. to me whatsoever, but it it was controversial for some folks. Um, but uh, you've you've listed a very interesting comment uh, next to Far Cry <laughs> Five, so please elaborate. So uh, something um, that I have recognised recently as kind of a gap in my uh, knowledge base is I actually don't play AAA games very often. Mm. Um, there are a few. Like that, I really love, but uh, for the most part, I stay very indie in my personal taste, um, and I've been really trying to expand that. Um, particularly with Far Cry Six coming out this year, which I'm really interested in many mm. behind the scenes <laughs> reasons. Um, Ubisoft's uh, whole vibe <laughs> and relationship mm. with politics is very yeah. interesting to me. Um, so I'm curious yeah. about that game. Yeah. Um, so I thought I would play Far Cry 5. Um, and I was also very interested in the setting. Um, mm. Very interested in the setting. And yeah, uh, as I wrote in the show notes, I hate it. <laughs> I believe the word perfect. was despise. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 that's, that's perfectly word. valid. That's 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 perfectly valid. Um, I because I I played a bit of it back when it released and bounced pretty hard uh, mm. off of it. Um, enjoyed the gameplay, but yeah, the setting setting was interesting. But one thing I read about people who finished the game uh, was that of overwhelming disappointment at the ending or how it handled its themes or potential narrative threads was that similar for you or that sort of the main reason you have a very strong feeling towards far cry 5 uh i would definitely say that um that that was part of it that i think they chose Mm. this like incredibly like narratively rich premise and then like actively did nothing with it (laughs) like not just didn't do a great job, but like constantly tried to undercut the power of this premise, like throughout. It seems like a knee joke. Like they had this first trailer that came out. It's like, oh wow, this looks like it could be something yeah. and go places. And then they just went, oh my god, no, politi- no politics, no politics, no politics, no politics, no politics, and just sucked everything that could have been interesting about that game out. Totally, I couldn't agree more. Um, but also that the narrative structure of the game is like. It's my dream. Like, the idea of, like, having missions that you can kind of uh, 
follow in your own time and a narrative that like unfolds as you play like state of decay 2 has a really similar narrative structure and that's one of my favorite games of all time like i love that but i feel like in far cry 5 uh it just feels like stuff in a row <laughs> like you're just doing things that didn't like rather than the world feeling richer and fuller and more like comprehensible as you went on it was just like and now i'm gonna do things again <laughs> so it More suffers from same. typical open world game syndrome yeah i think so i think so which is such a shame yeah. yes yes that that is uh, a sentiment that i've seen shared quite widely that uh, yeah a very very interesting premise um one that you know potentially from you know the outside looking in or the early promotion stuff look to deal with um you know extreme you know extremists uh you know religious groups and you know potential themes of white supremacy and that sort of thing uh, but uh yeah from from what what little i played uh, i didn't get a whole lot of that but uh Hmm. No, it's it is interesting to to revisit games that have released you know uh, a little while ago um it was sort of a you know a lens of you know looking back on uh, you know how it holds up now and that sort of thing, um, but we will take a very quick break before moving on to the big topic discussion of Valve's new hardware. Welcome back to the 64th episode of the Pixelcast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that little break there. We certainly did. Uh, so we will move into the, the big topic, which as of now is around Valve's latest piece of hardware, the Valve Steam Deck, uh, which was announced only a few days ago uh, at the time of recording. So it's a handheld gaming device, coming from Valve, which we all know, the uh, the big PC gaming marketplace behemoth of Steam. Um, and it's a device that people are drawing many comparisons to the Nintendo Switch, which has obviously dominated handheld gaming since its release in 2017. So just a few quick details I'll rattle off here about the Steam Deck. Uh, so at this stage, the Steam Deck is scheduled to release uh, this year, in uh, December overseas. Uh, here in Australia, there aren't any details yet. Uh, Tim, are there any details for Japan, uh, Japan release, or are they in the same boat? They would have to, I would assume they're in the same boat. I am not in queue to buy one, so I have not looked into local purchasing. <laughs> is, I've had Steam open today and have not seen anything advertising it. Cool, cool. No, I thought thought that was the case, but yeah, no, no Australian or Japanese details for the Steam Deck. Uh, but I believe that further details uh, for other regions are due to be announced and talked about in early 2022. Uh, so it's got a seven-inch screen, motion controls, plus uh, little touchpad, trackpad controls designed for you know making playing games that are more PC oriented. Uh, you know, a bit more friendly in that regards, uh, in addition to the conventional face buttons and control sticks you get with the standard game, uh, you know, game device, game controller, that sort of thing. Um, but as some people have pointed out, uh, the, the B button or one of the, the buttons hangs weirdly off the, the edge yeah. of the device, yeah. uh, which it, it so looks weird. strange. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is weird, but I wonder if it's you know, perhaps it's more comfy. ergonomically friendly. <laughs> I, I don't know. But yeah, so... 
the base model is slated to retail at $400 US uh, in compared to the base Nintendo Switch model, uh, $300 US. Uh, a direct conversion at the current sort of currency conversion rate sees a Steam Deck at about 550 Australian dollars. But as we know, there's you know, all sorts of other fees and markups uh, added with um, those sort of devices. So probably here in Australia, I'm going to take a stab at maybe $700 Australian. Starting uh, from... Starting from, yes, yes, because I do believe there are uh, various uh, various models uh, and that sort of thing. It's also going to allow like uh, additional storage through micro SD cards and that sort of thing. So, um, I think I think before we get too far stuck into the discussion here, I think we need to address the uh, the proverbial elephant in the room of that very bizarre hanging button off the side of the, of the controller yeah, I just, there. Or the elephant was the size of the Steam Deck itself. But... Uh, oh yes, there, 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 are, there, there are multiple elephants here. So perhaps the, perhaps the button hanging off the edge is the trunk of the elephant in the room. So, um, Pastel, I know you very quickly exclaimed that the... Uh, the look of that button in particular is very weird. Uh, is is there anything that strikes you as particularly odd about it? Is it the look or do you think it might potentially feel weird to use or what what, what do you think there? Yeah, I I don't I don't know. It does really look weird to me because the the button itself kind of looks like it's like slipping off the console. But you'd have to think that that would be comfy to hold otherwise they wouldn't have made it that way right um my switch you know is good enough to hold but maybe this is better so i'm willing to like you know be open to it being you know a better fit but it does look really weird <laughs> I'm, I'm now having these just images of a play tester going oh my god i don't believe i missed that <laughs> <laughs> oh dear so well i suppose that the first the first question here Obviously, it's uh, a little while until we'll see the Steam Deck in Australia. But is anyone here actually interested in getting one? I'll, you know, I'll say I'm really not in the market for this sort of device. I've got a PC for PC gaming and a Nintendo Switch for handheld gaming, so I, I'm pretty set in in that regard. So it's, I think it looks cool, but I'm not particularly interested in getting one at least straight away. Um, Tim, does the Steam Deck interest you whatsoever? I have a couple of friends who are interested in it. I've like, seen some points, like if and you, it is basically it is actually a PC. And saying like mm. if they, if if I can get Game Pass working on it, and if it can just play games for the next couple of years, it's going to be a good compromise for them or whatever. Me, but I just think it's too personally too big to like really be portable in like the. All right, I got 30 minutes in the train here. I'm not whipping that thing out. It doesn't have any, like, real kickstand type thing. So I actually, most of my handheld Switch game is actually, I work two jobs a morning, one an afternoon one. And a lot of the time, I will go past the first, go past the second one to get to the first one. So it makes no sense to go home. I will just go into a spare room for, like, a couple of hours and sit up at a desk. And I, with the weight of the Steam Deck as well, I just don't see that just being a plausible I mean, I love the idea that I could pick up where my PC game is, but for the foreseeable future, I would say I'd much rather see some sort of cross-save ability between platforms as a way of dealing with that issue as opposed to having I think, to... I think like the, the weight, really, because it's 700 grams, right? It's compared heavy. to yeah. Compared to the Switch's 300 grams. And the Switch and me, already feels kind of like, heavy sometimes. Yeah, yeah, like I'm kind of a small person with small hands. Like the Switch, I have like a regular uh, Switch and that's kind of like <laughs> physically the limit for me. Like in terms of reach, the idea of something that looks to me, to my amateur eye, to be clearly designed for larger hands um there's also more than double the weight of the switch is like i love this idea because i love handheld gaming it's my favorite favorite way to play games but like physically mm. no way <laughs> mm. is is that similar for for you pastel yeah what, what, how would you say is your, your split between the use of the switch in the dock and and handheld do you play it handheld uh more than docked or the other way around? I definitely play it docked more often because I 
uh, play it on my PC. Actually, <laughs> I have it like set up right next to my PC because I stream um, Nintendo games pretty often. Um, but I do play it handheld every now and then when I'm getting stuck into a story of seasons. Um, <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, for me, it doesn't really like, I, I think it's really cool. I think they're, they're pushing a lot of boundaries, but I, I don't need something like this. So unless it's doing something really crazy and amazing, this is, yeah, it's kind of just a, I'll wait and see. I'm not it's the quintessential everybody's going to want the version 2 if they fix yeah. up all these issues, but yeah. will enough people yeah. buy version 1? And they will have to because Valve's record so far when it comes to hardware is, I mean, I... <laughs> not good. I have, a Steam, <laughs> I have a Steam link that my brother gave me, and I've and yeah. that was back when I could still go to Australia, so it was a while ago. I've never used it. And that's the one thing that seems like it might actually be useful. I mm. I do really hope that it is enough of a success that uh, games hardware manufacturers start looking seriously at handheld like consoles again because like I even like I can't help but think about this in the context of Sony uh, saying that they were going to shut the PS Vita and PS3 store recently Mm. and there was like such a massive outcry so many people were like no like we use like we use those sto- like we use that store like we use those consoles still like we need we like really want to keep having access and they ended up reversing the decision um and it does feel like i don't think nintendo should have a stranglehold on like this market like other people should mm. be getting into making handheld consoles like they should they should just do it for people with small hands <laughs> Yeah, I because I'd like to um, yeah re- revisit the, the the size of the form factor of the Steam Deck because as as we've said it weighs on paper more than double a regular Nintendo Switch which also includes the Switch OLED model which was announced recently which isn't necessarily any bigger in its form factor. Uh, I'm I'm concerned about this from an accessibility standpoint because. My partner, who has various chronic fatigue and chronic pain uh, conditions, struggles enough to play uh, the Switch in handheld for a longer period of time, uh, which was actually um, made a little bit easier for her uh, by getting the, uh, what was it called? The the Hori Split Pad Pro, which is like these larger joy-con sort of thing made by a third-party manufacturer but they're light as anything they don't actually add that much weight to the switch but they're sort of more friendlier um for all sorts of you know different sized hands but i fear that even if there was something that she particularly wanted to play on the steam deck that she physically would not be capable of doing so Mm. because of how heavy it is so i i like the rest of you, I do fear that they've quite literally sized themselves out of a significant group of the market. Um, so yeah, I, which which does uh, draw the question, and I think uh, many of us, you know, do enjoy uh, you know handheld games, or there are particular types of games we like playing in handheld. Like Pastel, you were saying, Story of Seasons. So Story of Seasons, Stardew Valley, perfect for mm-hmm. handheld gaming. Mm-hmm. You know, spending many many hours. Just perfect and... games in general. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, fair, fair. I I can't disagree with you there. And Jeannie, like you're saying, um, the you know the Switch, or rather handheld gaming, is is your favourite way to play games. Are there any any games that currently don't exist on a handheld device like the Switch or on mobile or that sort of stuff that would perhaps be like a killer app for the Steam Deck that you know there's there's a PC game that you can't play handheld at the moment that you'd love to play handheld? Not that I can I think... think of, but the killer I think the killer app is like I have 500 Steam games. Mm. And I will have all of them immediately on this thing um the reverse of that is it's like i mean the the size of it is just inevitably like they're trying to make a portable pc this thing is if you're just talking like power for pound or whatever it is probably a way better value proposition than the switch is whether or not mm. that matters to enough people and i i'm not so sure it will 
especially since the OLED Switch is going to have a way better screen, which in terms of visuals is probably going to be a big part of it. Um, I think its issue is like going like we're in a transition um, generation at the moment where like so two years from now I'm not so sure that like this Steam thing is going to be able to play any new games anyway. Whereas if you bought a Switch in 2017, you knew that four years from then you would still be playing Switch games. And I, while I've been speaking, I've still been trying to think of like a game on my Steam list that I absolutely have to play handheld. Um, and all I'm really coming up with is, um, well, I mean, I don't own the Switch version of Hollow Knight, so I guess I would automatically own that. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 a good point as well, because, you know, if people were to invest in a Steam Deck, they would immediately have access to their entire Steam library, which for many of us is uh, an exhaustive list of quite uh, quite a few games that, uh, you know, like for me, Hollow Knight is actually a very good example because I bought Hollow Knight on PC probably not long after it uh, it released, um, and I played a little bit of it. But my gaming habits are lean towards you know playing games on the couch and that sort of thing as opposed to sitting at a desk. So whether that's playing a game docked to a TV or in handheld on on you know the couch, I. I double dipped and bought Hollow Knight on Switch as well and played and finished on Switch while the PC version collected dust. So hypothetically speaking, if I had a Steam Deck, then uh, there's quite a few times where I may not have double dipped on the Switch because, um, you know, for the the sake of being able to play a game portably or uh, in, a, in another place. But... Uh, yeah, yeah, that is that is a good point. Um, Jeannie, are there, are there any games for you that are on PC or not yet available on in a handheld format that you would really love to play handheld or you know would consider playing on a Steam Deck if the form factor were a bit more friendly? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, like developing for Switch or porting to Switch is a really like time intensive and uh like financially intense like obstacle for a lot of developers so i think there are a lot of like like i said i play a lot of indie games and a great many of them are available on steam because the process is just more streamlined um less difficult than publishing on a nintendo console um yeah. so like having that access I think the reason that I'm annoyed, so annoyed about like the size and weight um, of the Steam Deck is because I feel like this is totally a console for me <laughs> in every other way. Like the idea of being able to play like all those weird little impulse purchases, like stuff I wanted to check out because it was just, you know, made by a local team or, you know, I like saw it at a exhibition or just someone mentioned it to me you know there's a lot more spontaneity in my steam library i think than there is in my switch library um and i would love to like kind of have that on the go uh so i definitely think like i mean i really really hope it's really good i just hope the steam deck is awesome and that i regret not <laughs> getting one the second that i could <laughs> Yeah, uh, and I mean that's that's all we're doing here is speculating off of the the spec sheet and the the screens that we've seen. Which I mean, in all honesty, that's all we can really do at the moment in in lieu of you know being able to preview the thing hands on. But um, Pastel, it's it's an interesting one for you, especially as a content creator, because by the nature of what you do, obviously you need to um, you know connect things via. Uh, you know, HDMI cables or connect them directly to your PC. So, you know, an inherently handheld device isn't quite as useful as, you know, something that, you know, you can dock like the, the Switch. You can and then, dock it though, know, can't you? They are selling a dock separately. Like it will go USB to HDMI. So it is actually a PC. Interesting. So that's the sort of thing. So hypothetically, you'd be able to uh, connect it directly to a PC for if you, you know, didn't streaming. need to use Photoshop or anything, you could literally make it your next PC. Mm, yeah, I guess it would be my my first uh, two PC setup stream. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, like uh, that would be my number one concern is the the ease of connecting to 
uh, all of the streaming software. Like the the Switch is not incredible for doing that. Um, famously, you need to buy a few different parts to get it to even connect, and only mm. the standard Switch can do that. Like the the Switch mm. Lite can't do that at all. Um, so that in that way, it does kind of interest me. And certainly, like Jeannie said, I have tons of games that I like I just bought on a whim and I haven't, you know, spent time playing, but I think if I had it on a handheld format, I probably would get to them. Um, and certainly a lot of the smaller games like cat quest that I love so dearly, I would, um, I would have much more fun, I think playing on a handheld and then not having to pay extra money to buy the handheld version of it. So yeah. Um, yeah. We'll see. I, I really do hope that this is something that's good, and maybe yeah, they can make a a better weighted one so that it's it is more handheld friendly, like it kind of was meant to be. Yeah, and an- another thing um, for for you as well, Pastel, uh, with the the content creation side of things, uh, as you do, no doubt be well versed in a, in a lot of Elgato's uh, products, mm-hmm. you know which um, you know are quite commonly used to connect a lot of consoles and that sort of thing uh, to PCs and allow allowing for streams and that sort of stuff. Um, the the Steam Deck bears a strikingly uh, similar resemblance to Elgato's Stream Deck, mm-hmm. uh, a, a separate device used for. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you, the expert, <laughs> uh, explain. Um, what, what what does a Stream Deck do for those who don't know? Um, I guess basically, and in streamer terms, um, it kind of makes your process through changing scenes and things like that so much easier. You can change. Um, between talking scenes, turning uh, inputs on and off, um, little bits and things like sound effects um, to add to your stream and add flavor and things. But I also use it in editing. Um, I use it for hotkeys in um, my editing software, which makes it super easy. Um, Mm. It's a very powerful product. But, um, yeah, I think I've stumbled a couple of times saying Stream Deck, the Valve Stream Deck, and gone, hold on a minute. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes. Obviously, you know, they're, they're two very different products for different markets. Mm. Like, I think if someone's specifically looking for a stream deck and knows what they're looking for, um, there won't necessarily be a lot of confusion. But perhaps for those who are first getting into content creation or for those who aren't as uh, you know, into the minute detail of, you know, gaming hardware and gaming devices, uh, perhaps this, this will be... Uh, a very difficult, uh, especially an SEO nightmare, mm-hmm. I imagine, like the, like the, the video game by Remedy uh, Control was. Good luck <laughs> trying to Google Control and get what you're looking for there. So um, do, do any of us foresee any confusion there between Steam and Stream Deck or anything like that? I'm so shocked I'm gonna... that there hasn't been a copyright dispute. Like I'm genuinely mm. shocked. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, I imagine you know Valve you know wouldn't be oblivious to the existence of the Stream Deck being the the big company that they are, but uh, uh, at the very least uh, you know you're one typo away from referring to a completely different product, which uh, to, to me as someone who's not super content creation savvy, it's uh, it's very confusing. <laughs> so, also, I mean, such an established product. Yeah, it's a bizarre yeah, decision yeah, to me. Sorry, Tim. Yeah, interrupted you. My my my, my general guess is that it's, it could happen, but I don't think it's that you're not going to get like confused parents buying the wrong thing for their kids. Like I think at the very least you're going to have people who, for the most part, know what they're looking for. Very like it says very specific thing. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I suppose uh, yeah. We'll we'll see see how that pans out when it hits the market. But we won't really know more from an Australian perspective until <laughs> next year. But we'll. You know, keep an eye out and keep uh, keep tuned in for that. But uh, I reckon that just about brings us to the end of episode 64 of the Play It To Pixel cast. So thank you everyone for joining in. So what I'll do is I'll go around and ask where people can find you um, on various corners of the internet. So Pastel, um, at the time of recording, you're actually about to jump into a stream. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll start start with you. Where, where can people find you? Um, you can find me... Most of the time um, on Twitch, 
under pastel sparkles. Um, I'm also uh, making very cursed tweets on Twitter under the same name, but an extra S on the end. Um, and TikTok. I'm very obsessed with TikTok at the moment, putting things up all the time. Uh, same name on there. I'll see you there. <laughs> Good stuff. Thank you very much, Pastel. Uh, Jeannie, where can people find you? All right. So I'm uh, Astroblob on Twitter, Instagram, most other places. Uh, and as I mentioned up top, I write for Screen Hub and occasionally for the Saturday paper about games in the games industry. Good stuff, good stuff. And uh, as uh, as I mentioned at the start, but I'll uh, you know mention it again, we're talking uh, award-nominated uh, writing there, so please do feel free to uh, go check it out. Oh, stop. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and we'll work uh, around. War of me, why would you? Um, I mean, I'm at pretend bitter, pretend beard on Twitter, and that's... Pretty much it, I 